You may be seated. Well, friends, our text today comes to us from uh, the Apocrypha, actually. I'm going to be reading about half of the book of Bell and the Dragon. If that freaks you out at all and you think, why is he going to read half the book? It's because it's only one page long. <laughs> so don't fret too much. If you're not familiar with the Apocrypha or with Bell and the Dragon, just by way of introduction, I'll say the Apocrypha books are actually still used by the Roman Catholic Church in large part as canon and as authoritative. Protestants did not do that for uh, reasons that might put you to sleep this morning. But if you're interested, you can come talk to me after and we can talk through the details of why we have different canons. Um, but Bell and the Dragon is essentially just two more adventures in the life of Daniel from Daniel and the lion's den. And um, it tells the story of Daniel doing what Daniel seems to do best, opposing the king's laws to prove that there is something higher we can be aiming for and to point toward what Daniel would call the one true God. So if you're interested in these apocryphal books, I would encourage you to find a Bible that has these um, stories in them, uh, explore them, or if you want to hear us preach more on these, you know, I, I get sort of experimental Sundays, like the Sunday after Easter sometimes to do this, but if, if you think it would be helpful, if you think it would be enriching, send us an email. I, I think we would love to do a sermon series on the Apocrypha. So this is the, uh, the first part of Bell and the Dragon. After the death of King Astyages, Cyrus of Persia took over his kingdom. Daniel was one of King Cyrus's closest companions, and the king thought more highly of Daniel than of any other of his advisors. The Babylonians had an idol named Bell, each day, the people had to provide Bell with an offering of 12 bushels of fine flour, 40 sheep, and 50 gallons of wine. King Cyrus believed that Bell was a god, and each day he used to go and worship it. But Daniel worshipped his own god. One day, the king asked Daniel, why don't you worship Bell? And Daniel answered, I don't worship idols made with human hands. I worship only the living God, who created heaven and earth, and is the Lord of all humankind. Don't you believe that our God, Bell, is really alive? asked the king. Haven't you seen how much he eats and drinks every single day? Daniel laughed and said, Don't be fooled, your majesty. This God you call Bell is nothing more than clay covered with bronze. It's never eaten or drunk anything. At this, the king became angry and called in all 70 of the priests of Bel. And he said to them, I warn you that you will be put to death unless you can show me that it is Bel who is eating these offerings. If you prove to me that it is Bel, then I will have Daniel put to death for claiming that Bel is not a god. And Daniel agreed to this proposal. Then they all went with the king into Bel's temple, where the priests said to the king, Your majesty, we will go out and let you place the food on the table and prepare the wine. When you leave, you may lock the door behind you and seal it with the royal seal. In the morning, when you return, if you find that Bel has not eaten everything, you can put us to death. But if he has, 
Daniel will die for making false accusations against us. But the priests were not worried because they had made a secret entrance underneath a table in the temple so that they could go in every night and eat the offerings. When the priests had left the king, excuse me, when the priests had left, the king set out the food for Bel. Then Daniel ordered his servants to bring some ashes and scatter them all over the floor of the temple. No one except the king saw them do this. After that, they all went out, locked the door, sealed it with a royal seal, and left. That night, as usual, the priests with their wives and children came into the temple by the secret passage and ate all the food and drank all the wine. Early the next morning, the king and Daniel went to the temple, and the king asked, Have the seals been broken, Daniel? No, your majesty, they have not been broken, Daniel replied. As soon as the door was open, the king saw the empty table and shouted, You are great, O Bel, you are really a god. But Daniel began to laugh and said to the king, Before you enter the temple, look at the floor and tell me whose footprints you see there. I see the footprints of men, women, and children, said the king. And he became so angry that he had the priests and their families arrested and brought to him. They showed him the secret doors through which they had come in each night to eat the food placed on the table. So the king had the priests put to death, and he gave Bel to Daniel, who destroyed the idol and tore down its temple. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you so much for this story. Thank you so much for Daniel's example, for pushing back against the norms and presumptions of his time, and God chasing after what he knew was true. Lord, I pray that you would teach us from this story and that whatever words and wisdom we would hear would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. What's something you've sacrificed for? You don't have to shout them out, but just think it in your head. Something you've really sacrificed, you really worked hard for, sacrificed for, maybe something you're sacrificing for right now, you're constantly investing in and trying to gain. I remember when I was 15 working to save up enough money to buy my first car. And then I remember in college, you know, my car wasn't enough and I really, really wanted a motorcycle. And so I saved up a bunch of money and I got a motorcycle, which I no longer have, by the way. And I'm told by someone who shall remain nameless that I'm not allowed to have another one. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) But I remember sacrificing and working hard to get this motorcycle. I remember chasing after academic achievements and the praise of my professors. I remember working hard to go backpacking through Europe, trying to impress my early supervisors and my jobs. All these things that I sacrificed so much for that I really thought at the time would bring me a kind of lasting happiness or peace, something that would fulfill me. 
There were relationships too, you know, people that I sought out that I thought, man, if I could just be their friend or their boyfriend or whoever, maybe that would make me happy. And we all sacrificed a lot for relationships that turned out to be, I think we've all been there, haven't we? Sacrificing so much for the things we thought would make us happy or bring us peace, prosperity, fulfillment, and it turns out to be nothing. Maybe we've sacrificed for bigger paychecks in our jobs, thinking that that will be the thing that brings us what we want, only to discover we immediately want an even bigger paycheck. Or maybe we've sacrificed for a job promotion or recognition from our peers or our bosses only to discover that the accolades don't last. Maybe we've sacrificed for bigger and bigger homes and more and more toys to play with only to discover that they don't fill us and they're accompanied by burdensome loan payments. Maybe we've searched for happiness and fancier cars, only to discover that they get scratches and dings just like the other ones. Maybe we've sacrificed our lives for alcohol, drugs, the pleasures of the flesh, we might say, only to discover that those pleasures disappear by morning. Maybe we've sacrificed for larger savings accounts, maybe we've sacrificed for our dreams, Maybe we've sacrificed for, insert whatever it is that you've desired, only to discover that it's just not quite the thing we thought it would be. I don't want to demonize working hard and sacrificing for the things that we desire. I don't think any of the things that I mentioned are bad on their own. But sometimes it can get out of control, can it? And we can fool ourselves into thinking that whatever it is we're doing or have been doing for a long time, whatever it is that we're pouring ourselves into, our time, our energy, our resources, we can convince ourselves that that is the only thing in the world that will work to bring us peace and joy and happiness. So in Babylon, there was an image of Bel the pagan god that the empire worshipped as it conquered and exiled the nations. Bel was a chunk of fancy bronze, as Daniel says, and clay fashioned into the form of a human. And it was required by law for everyone in the kingdom to worship Bel. And the way that you worship Bel was to bring it food each day that the priests would then set in a sealed room on these huge banquet tables. And supposedly, at night, when Bell was feeling pretty snacky, it would eat. Because Bell, it was said, was a living god. So, of course, a living god needed food to eat. And Bell, it was said, too, couldn't eat during the day because it was never very hungry during the day. And it was said that Bell could never eat with an audience around because Bell was a little too shy. And it was said, too, that Bell only communicated with the priests and only at very special times. And it was even said that Bell once said to one of the priests, no one knew which one, 
that if it didn't get all the food it needed in a day, it would bring harm and destruction upon the king and the kingdom. And so the king, by worshiping Bel, is sort of promised a peace and a prosperity and a happiness so long as he continues to make his sacrifices and worship each and every day. Daniel, the same Daniel from the lion's den, is a Jewish exile separated from his land, family, and people by the empire of Babylon and all their conquering. He's risen in the ranks of the palace to become a trusted advisor to the king, but there's one problem with Daniel that really, really bugs the king. Daniel consistently protests the king's law that all in the empire worship Bel. He won't offer food to the god, and this is because it's so obvious to Daniel that the king is being duped that he can't believe the king doesn't see it. You can't seriously call Bel a living god, Daniel says to the king as he refuses to waste his food. This response from Daniel upsets the king, and the king actually protests this little delinquent advisor of his and points out to him the immense amount of food consumed daily by Bell. What was it, 12 bushels of flour, 40 sheep, and 50 gallons of wine? Sounds like a party to me. But Bell, excuse me, This response from Daniel upsets the king, and the king actually protests his advisor and points out to him all this food that Bel is eating. And so Bel must be a living God by the fact that the food is left out on the table at night, and the next morning, when no one has been watching, there's only the trace of crumbs left. And the king mentions, too, how his kingdom has thrived and how happy he is because he's been so devoted to Bel. Daniel instead of telling the king he was being duped, nicely asks to conduct an experiment. He asks to be allowed to test the alleged fact that this bell gets snacky at night and eats up all this food each and every day. His request being granted, Daniel is shown the sacred tables being covered with lavish food, which the god Bell apparently consumes during the night. And he's shown the doors, which are supposedly all sealed by arrangement with the priests as well. And after seeing all this, Daniel comes up with a plan. After the priests leave Bell's temple that evening, Daniel has the temple floor strewn with a light coat of ashes. And when morning dawns, it's found that the doors are still sealed, but the food has disappeared. Upon examination, the tracks of bare feet are found on the ash-strewn floor, showing that the priests have entered the temple by a secret passage and removed the food, ate it for themselves. And so, of course, Daniel was right. The king is so upset by this that he has the priests put to death and the image of Bel destroyed. I'm not a huge fan of the violence in this story, even if it is a fictional tale and meant to illustrate some larger point. But I hope you can see the gift embedded in this tale. These gods we worship, these idols we keep turning to, that we hope will bring peace, happiness, prosperity, fulfillment, whatever it is that you're searching for, so many times 
they turn out to be empty. And while this story is sort of an extreme example, and I think on its surface it's meant to promote worship of what the writer of the story might call the one true God, I think there's still a deeper connection for us today. What things, what situations, what desires, what people in your life keep promising you this kind of peace and prosperity and happiness or blessing but consistently turn out to be empty and nothing. I think a kind of lasting happiness and peace, a kind of fulfillment can be found somewhere. And I think we should look for it. In fact, we're probably going to look for it (laughs) whether we like it or not. We have this internal engine that drives us toward that. There's something deep inside of us that tells us that pursuing this peace isn't entirely ridiculous. But I think we need to start looking in the right places for it. Henry David Thoreau says that happiness is like a butterfly. The more you chase it, the more it will evade you. But if you notice the other things around you, it will gently come and sit on your shoulder. Lasting happiness and peace, the kind the king is looking for, the kind Daniel is looking for, the kind we are all looking for, I think is found in faith, love, and relationships. I think it can be discovered in character, integrity, and service toward others, as Daniel does for a king who has exiled him and who we might expect Daniel to hate. But still, Daniel helps him. Daniel helps his enemy, loves his enemy, and in a way teaches us that the sooner we discover true fulfillment is only found in giving our lives to another, the sooner we can stop sacrificing to all these gods we worship, and the sooner then we can stop chasing after the wind. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you again for your word. Thank you, too, for this time set aside. God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts this morning and show us the path toward you, toward a peace that's everlasting, and a fulfillment that passes understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.